Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell. Okay, so we got a special guest on today. It's actually our graduate assistants, uh, one of her uh, bosses of sorts, um, maybe not direct boss at work, but one of the influential people there. So I'm going to let Jason go ahead and introduce our guest today. Yeah, so I actually asked Sarah Ruffcorn, she's our Chief Operating Officer here at Trinity Logistics, to come on our podcast today. So Sarah manages the day-to-day operations for our seven, seven regional service centers, and uh, she's been with Trinity for 17 years. Uh, some cool things that Sarah's done, she was the Trinity Annual Leadership Event, uh, she was the key speaker in 2016. She's been awarded the 2015 Delaware Business Times Best 40 Under 40 Award, and uh, she was also she's also co-chair for the TIA's Women in Logistics Committee. So that's that's some information about Sarah. And I thought we'd kick off today, kind of talking about where the trucking industry is at now. I know we've done a couple podcasts about how the tariffs and trade wars have have caused a lot of, let's say, issues in business. So I kind of wanted Sarah to start off maybe talking about how that's been affecting the trucking industry. Yeah, so trade wars have been a very interesting thing for us. Obviously, being in third-party logistics, it's, it's always an interesting world that we live in. It has a direct correlation to what's happening in our economy. So just in general, uh, first off, I guess I just want to thank you for having me on the show. It's it's always fun to talk about things we're passionate about, and I appreciate Jason reaching out and getting my thoughts on these things, because it's always fun to talk about the things that we love to do. So, But yeah, so when it comes to our customers and what's happening with trade wars, obviously they're dealing with them in all different sorts of ways, right? I mean, we have shipper customers that are highly affected by what's happening in both European and China markets, and... And then we have customers that are, you know, purely domestic and aren't affected by them at all or very little. And so some of our customers that have been affected by them have obviously had to make some adjustments to their supply chains, both in order to be able to meet the demand that's happening currently in the U.S., but also to be able to plan ahead for their fiscal years and their budgets and all those kinds of things. And so... What I've seen just in general across the board are the ones that are the most affected have really planned ahead. They have, you know, anticipated when the government might change those tariff percentages and have really tried to get ahead of when they're ordering their products over to try to beat that increased percent um, that they would be charged. So we're seeing a lot of freight index markets fluctuating fairly high middle of this year just to be able to account for what may happen. And then we have, you know, other customers that because of that, their competitors were sourcing from other places and have actually lost the business. So kind of a wide spectrum, but again, it's been interesting to see and hear from our customers when and how and if they were going to be affected by these things. So 
How was the the recent news that that uh, Trump seems to be putting something together? Has there been any immediate things that you've seen um, in your world in terms of that helping things out? Not directly. We've had some customers come back and say, I know, you know, one customer in particular, one of our top customers actually thought they were going to incur a fairly large increase. And then they actually ruled against even including the product at all in, in the tariff war. So it's been kind of a high and low for some of our clients just in what they are anticipating and what reality is really ended up to be for them. Yeah. So a lot so, of, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of noise that they've had to try to just murky, go through the murky absolutely. waters on. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I would guess that I think that brings up some interesting issues of the lag times that are involved with the production and then ultimately the shipping that some of that trickles down. It might take a couple months even to really start to feel the impact, which unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, we've had to, we've gotten to see from Trump threatening the tariffs, uh, what, six to nine months ago, and now starting to come to roost some of the decisions that were actually made under that uncertainty. Yes, absolutely. And what reality really looks like, right? I mean, some of them, you know, like I said, have not been affected at all, thank goodness, but they had planned ahead just in case. And so now they have all this supply on hand that we'll be working through now. So freight volumes, of course, will be a little bit lower you know, going into fourth quarter for them because they've, you know, have all the stock they need right now in, in the warehouses. So, right. yeah, so to your point, it's, been, it's brought a lot of uncertainty and a lot of guesses and you do with what you know and you plan as best you can and then you wait and see what really happens. So. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so let's see, Jason, uh, did you have something else for um, Sarah to chew on or do you yes. want me to jump into something else? Okay. Uh, so one other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, again, because we, we've kind of discussed it in other podcasts, so it'd be kind of nice to get your perspective on it, Sarah. But uh, what, what do you feel, we've talked about the tariffs, what do you feel like the technology industry has done to trucking, uh, automation of trucks, even just the data systems that we use? Yeah, so technology is, oh gosh, it is just a hot topic everywhere I go right now, you know, in, in our industry. Obviously, with Uber Freight and Amazon now getting into the game of, of the space that we're in and what is technology doing to our industry, I'm actually headed right now to the airport to jump on a plane to go to Chicago to speak at the Journal of Commerce around technology and transportation. So <laughs> there's a lot happening, <laughs> a lot happening in our space as it relates to that. So overall, you know, when we're, you know, we are a third-party logistics company and what that means is, of course, we're non-asset based. Well, all this technology that's coming in to try to pair the shippers to the trucks um, is something that we've been doing for over 40 years, right, at Trinity. So the question is, is how much automation is going to start playing into that versus the human relationship aspect of what we do. And the interesting part, as you compare across different industries that Uber's been a part of or Amazon, they, they have created capacity, specifically Uber, created capacity where there wasn't, right? So if you think of taxis versus ride hailing and, and, you know, the differences of those things created capacity and they're not able to create new capacity in the market. They're not going out and buying thousands and thousands of trucks, right? So, so the capacity is still really the same for all of us. It's 
an even playing field for the most part. And the difference maker is then the technology that can quickly match that need or that load of that product that needs to go from point A to B and how quickly you can match that with the right carrier that meets all the requirements, that has the insurance, that has the safe driver, that has all the things that we look for when we hire uh, a carrier to, to or, you know, move one of the shipments for our customers. And so the question really then just becomes, what part does relationship play in that? And the good thing for us is that freight can't raise their hand when they're lost. Freight can't <laughs> tell us where it is, <laughs> unlike real people, right? So there's still a huge relationship-driven uh, aspect of our business as it relates to having trusted partnership, both with our shippers and also with our carriers. However, we have to be able to compete and empower our team members to be able to do their jobs to the best they can, the most effective and efficient way they can, and that comes with technology. So as long as we are being ahead of the game when it comes to being able to find the right as quickly as we can for loads and our, our shipper customers, then we're doing everything we can to compete. And creating the efficiencies is really where the technology lies for us um, in that third-party space. But I, I truly believe so much of what we do, it really still depends on having that relation and a trusted relationship with both the carriers and the shippers to be able to service their customers to the best of our ability. So, so that brings up one question for me is, you know, we, we talk about in, in economics, we talk a lot about economies of scale and we talk about technology. And you were saying there at the end about competing and, and the use of technology to, you know, to do what you're doing. So do you see the kind of the trends towards the new technology and kind of the regulation that seems to come with it? Do you see that as kind of a force for more, for larger companies? Like, do you think your companies are, the, the companies in the transportation industry are going to have, going to have to get larger to take advantage of, of the advantages that, tech brings or, or is that going to make more opportunities for smaller, smaller trucking? Companies? And are you thinking of the, maybe the expense of the technology plus the regulation that comes along with it that you yeah, need I mean, to be a little bit bigger to, to do? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely think the regulation is really going to come when you talk about like automation of trucks themselves, yeah. right? When we think of fully automated trucks, is that, is that what you're talking about? Right. Yeah. Well, or just, I mean, yeah. but also I think the, 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 Even logging, in the medium term here, but yeah. And as far as like, because I know Jason just wrote a, a little piece for us about the, something about the log log book type stuff that, you know, and there's a lot of regulation that goes in with that. So. Yeah, there is. So I, my opinion is that when it comes to automated trucks driving down the road without drivers in them, I think the regulation is going to get really sticky around that. Just because we have such a huge presence of trial lawyers in our country, right? And who is going to sue who when something happens? And I think that's where the regulation is really going to be very heavy. And and there's going to have to, unfortunately, I think there's going to have to be case law that then determines some of that because I don't think we're going to have it figured out. But I definitely think that, you know, when it comes to ELDs and some of the regulations that have come through the last year and a half, you know, we're about ready to convert the AOBRDs over. Uh, that's too many. Hold on, time out. That's too many acronyms oh, no, for me. What? 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 So what? What? Many, what are the <laughs> so many acronyms. Yes. Okay. What? So electronic log device. Okay. Yep. So the yep. So the ELDs are the electronic log devices, and those devices went in play 
you know, what, 18 months ago or so, I guess, oh. now, a year ago. And, and with that, you know, really came some additional, with that regulation came a decrease of capacity. So, you know, with the decrease of capacity, then you've got increased, um, you've got a lot of demand and a decrease of supply. And mm. so that really caused a lot of our rates to just dramatically go up. And unfortunately, we had to raise our rates to our shippers because capacity was low and not everybody was prepared for that. So mm -hmm. it creates this instant supply and demand every day on our desk with the amount of shipments that we have and the amount of carriers that are available to take those shipments. We see it live every single day, our economy at work. So, right. so, so with that, you know, and the, with, the, with the automation, of those things, I think there's different demands that are then placed on, of course, our carriers throughout the U.S. and with the drivers and the things that they have to do, all in the effort of transparency. Everyone knows when an Amazon box is going to hit your doorstep, but we don't know, you know, up until recently where there's been a lot of technology around this to fix the problem and fill the gap where an entire truckload of product was, you know, and without calling the driver every day, once or twice a day saying, where are you? So there's tremendous amount of technology that's in play and that has come, you know, into the market in the last three years around that exact thing. Where is our tracking and tracing of these huge shipments that are moving throughout our country um, every day? So, yeah, it made me think when you, when you mentioned that the freight can't raise its hand, I was thinking yet uh, it can't raise its hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. that's right. Until you get until you get, you know, these little sensor devices plugged into every single package to say we can automatically trace and track all these little boxes of things that are moving all throughout. Right now, it's just not cost effective. Right? Yes, um, right. But, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's definitely, especially with high-value product, right, you, you need some additional tracking and tracing and things. But yes. But for the most part, shipload of socks or a, a whole box of socks, you're not going to, you're not going to bother with that. Yet people want to know because it's going to hit an ad, right? That's going on the market the next day when it reaches the store. So yeah, so yeah. And another a lot thing. Around and another thing talking about like why the importance of having a truck driver that people don't really think about is also the like signing off paperwork, make sure that all the products that they were told was going to be there is on the truck. Just having that extra set of eyes to really look at it and make sure, yep, this is what I'm supposed to be taking. This is how much I'm supposed to be taking. And that's, that's something that right now technology can't do either. Right. All right, well, this looks like a good spot to go for our break. Um, when we come back from break, we're going to try to uh, pick Sarah's brain on maybe uh, some faith-oriented issues as it relates to either trucking and your personal position and you uh, running through the ranks of your, of your company. And I especially think with your um, thoughts here on human relationships that that might be especially interesting. So uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute's vision, by 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economics understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, 
society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. Okay, we're back here with uh, Sarah Ruffhorn of Trinity Logistics. She's our Chief Operating Officer uh, there, and uh, they're kind of a big company. What was it, 200 employees with 90 locations across the country? Is that correct? I think I saw that on LinkedIn or something. Yeah, that... we actually have almost 300, a little over 300 now. Okay. Well, that's your tip. LinkedIn is a little behind your progress of the company. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just FYI for that. But uh, so, yes. Um, and uh, so you guys are leading a pretty big crew and uh, your company plays kind of matchmaker between people who want to get something shipped from one spot to another. And um, I think we'll start off with a question on what your philosophy is in the workplace from uh, servant leadership, or does faith play a role there, and and how that gets conveyed to your uh, many employees scattered uh, across the country? If you want to take a little time to comment on that with, in regard to Trinity, yeah. So servant leadership definitely plays big into our model of leadership at Trinity, and you know the company was founded a little over forty years ago with intentionally naming the company Trinity because of the Christian values and oh. the foundation that was laid by the, by the founders of the company. And so, you know, there's um, the golden rule has always been a big part of our culture, even going back 40 years ago and truly having a company that has high integrity, despite the quote unquote bad broker name, um, as <laughs> we say. And so, you know, our, our growth has come, um, mainly all organically, and we truly attribute that to the high values that we believe in and practice every day, you know, in our business. And, and so, that, that is definitely you know, the best stable kind of growth, for sure, to get it organic like that. That's, that's a plus. Absolutely, and there's very few companies that have done it the way that we've done it in our space. So we're very proud of that fact, for sure. Yeah, you so, you know, when it comes to servant leadership and, and what that means for leadership, you know, it's all about, you know, our mission is to constantly improve people's lives by constantly being our best. And we do that in all sorts of different ways. We come in every day and we want to make the lives of those people around us the best that they can. Life's hard enough outside of our walls, we say. And so let's make it the best we can inside these walls. And so you know, we put a lot of effort and energy around 
um, relationships and removing obstacles for our team members, and then also in our communities through the Trinity Foundation. Um, we play a major role through our communities, and we have an organized 501c3 organization. The board members of that organization are all Trinity team members that run the Trinity Foundation and really contributing pour back into the lives of those in our community. So. What, what's the focus of that then from the community? Are you donating to existing things that are there? Or are you starting up other? What, what sort of initiatives do you have in some communities? So we have core areas that we focus in. All of our locations also have key organizations that they also come alongside. We partner with other non-for-profit organizations to support their work. So um, we primarily focus in leadership, um, youth leadership, things that surround youth leadership and scholarship around that, the health and wellness as well in our communities around the American Heart Association. We do a couple of things for that group throughout the country, different cancer, local cancer centers. Um, we've partnered with several throughout the U.S. to be able to be a part of supplying things that they need for the patients um, and a whole host of things. We do different fundraisers throughout the year. Um, everything from a tournament called Big Pink Volleyball, which I don't know if you've been online to see our pictures, but it's an enormous big pink volleyball, literally like five <laughs> feet tall volleyball. It's a ton of fun. So, and then golf tournaments to raise money and then, and then supporting those charities, Christmas families, things that we partner with throughout the year in all the communities that we're a part of. So. How is the, how are those things funded? I'm just curious if you're taking, what, what kind of is the model um, from your normal operations? Uh, is a fraction, is a, a set fraction of profits going towards activities or is it just at the discretion of the board each year or is it more leaning on the executives and maybe some other team members to, to donate to it? Well, what's, what's your business model of how things get funded and what your philosophy is there? Yeah, so it gets funded all, all of the above, all the things that you said. <laughs> so we, we host the different fundraisers, of which involves typically a lot of the area businesses around those events. And then we raise money from, like, for instance, we just hosted our big golf, our annual golf tournament. And so we have whole sponsors and all those kinds of things, just like a normal golf tournament would have. And then all those funds get funded into the Trinity Foundation. And then the board is then responsible for you know, allocating those funds to the different charities that we work with. And then we also have ways that team members can give. We have fun events that they can give to, as well as they can have a withdrawal from their paycheck. Um, and then the company at the end of the year also gives a percent of what we raise at the, for the whole year. They give um, a matching contribution to those funds as well. So, okay. Yeah. So all of Yep. So it's not from a, from the bottom line though. It's not a. It's not like some sort of set fraction. Like always, ten percent of Trinity's profits goes towards this or whatever. It's not set like that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? No. Okay. That's right. Yep. Nope. It's not set like that. It's a little bit different. That we do different. You know, company matches towards different events right. that we host. But the team members are all the ones that are working to both raise the money and support the causes. So. Um, it's a big team effort for sure. So you're talking to a, uh, a Lutheran and a Catholic in terms of the econ people over here. And I'm just curious, uh, 
from your personal faith life, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, what what uh, do you have a certain denomination that you prescribe to, and and how that plays into your role as the leader, one of the leaders at Trinity? Yeah, so I I am what I would consider to be non-denominational. I know that can mean lots of different things to people, but I am very involved in my church. And it's an open Bible church, and I believe that has absolutely played into my role as a leader. I grew up in a Christian school and then was homeschooled um, all the way through high school and then went to a uh, public university. And my mix of uh, experiences (laughs) and then, of course, (laughs) coming into Trinity and all of those things, it's kind of interesting to look back on and think about. But yeah, I mean... The experiences that I've had both in the mission field, volunteering for different missions work, both inside and outside of our country, and then just the experiences that I have through, you know, my faith and what I believe to just be doing the right thing all the time. You know, in this business and in any business, there's always opportunity for that to go awry. But I tell you, keeping your true north of of always wanting and doing the right thing, definitely believe that steers me in that direction. And then just my faith in of a higher being, right? You know, we think we're all so important sometimes, and we're really not. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think keeping that perspective, but, you know, always really wanting to help people grow and truly wanting and caring about people, whether it be their professional life, you know, or their personal life um, and what that looks like. But, you know, I truly believe that, you know, my faith in Christ has, has has led me to a lot of the decisions that I've made as a leader to do the right thing for people, you know, and not just for the bottom line or for business and, and for our customers. And, you know, just keeping that true north of integrity all the time, I think is, is a big part of, of my faith. So. I'm curious, did your, your Christian school slash homeschool upbringing in hindsight now, did you feel like fully prepared getting dumped into Satan's den at the state school when you, (laughs) I'm laying it on, I'm laying it on a little thick. I like to add some drama to the show to some degree, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. If you felt pretty prepared for what you found uh, going into the state school there. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever heard of summit ministries. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before, but I haven't. It's put on, Okay, so it's put on by Focus of the Family, and I went a couple of years, I remember, in high school. So I was homeschooled from eighth grade through high school, and then I played sports um, in Iowa. I I was able to be dual enrolled into the public school system, and so I played sports at a public school. And so I think through a variety of those experiences, and then I worked at the mall, and I was a wedding planner, and I (laughs) worked at a coffee house, and right, so I was able to being homeschooled, I only had about four hours of school every day. And then I was able to do all these other things and uh-huh. really participate in a lot of cool activities that I would have never had the opportunity to, to be able to do. And so I believe going into public university, while it was definitely a culture shock, there's no doubt about that. You know, I was quickly able to connect with the campus students on Christ. It was a, a group that there was, that was there on campus, met my husband through that, through that um, organization and just participated in those things that got connected pretty quickly on. But I tell you, it was definitely uh, quite shocking when my roommates were stealing from me and I didn't realize it. <laughs> you know, all these things that you realize, you know, going to a public university that was like, oh my word, you know, this really does happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Kind of crazy. Yeah. 
Where, where in Iowa, just curious, I've, I was in Iowa for a while. You must, I'm guessing on the border of Illinois since you went to Illinois, but. I did. So I grew up in Burlington, Iowa, uh-huh. uh, right on the Mississippi. Yep. yep. My husband's from Quincy and then we went to Western Illinois University. Okay. So. Great. Great. Yep. All right. So I kind of want to circle back to uh, a technology thing. And, and so we've talked about it a little bit on this show and I think it's, I've heard speakers uh, mention this, especially with transportation and contracting that uh, blockchain technology should eventually evolve into something pretty important with uh, shipping business. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my little rundown of the way I had heard it and, and regurgitate it, and you can tell me if this resonates with you at all. But with the blockchain, blockchain technology, you can have a contract that says, I, shipper, need to be at uh, in Illinois by this time with this load, and everything in the truck, uh, whatever that load is, can be documented on a digital piece of paper, if you will, that that has all the details of it. And then once the truck is delivered, if it arrived on time and if all of the items that are on the truck or in the truck were there, then the people can, there can be an automatic exchange of funds to pay for the load. So if the load was $100,000, that contract can be immediately paid from one account to the next because of the security of the blockchain. And and so it kind of eliminates a processing end of accounts receivable, accounts payable, and getting shipping paid from one spot to the next that in theory, that type of technology can really lower transaction costs as it becomes of age. Does that sound like stuff you've heard before at some of your conferences and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely advantages to being able to have some way that hackers can't get in, be able to conduct business and it basically is a trace and track type of tool where they know exactly where every product is at every point in time and, and can collect that data and then, like you said, process payments through that as well. It was a huge topic about two years ago and it is slowly, I don't know if died is the right word, but it's, it's much more in the background now than it was. Okay. So it's been um, a little tabled. Currently yeah. it's, it's kind of tabled at this point. I would the, the challenge is the, the, the big challenge of blockchain is just getting everyone to have the same format and go by the same, same rule set and have that all go perfectly all throughout that supply chain. Right. So, yeah. so I think that there's definitely some use cases, you know, obviously Starbucks and I believe Walmart and there's a couple of other huge retailers that are, are trying to pilot some different things and are using it in some use cases. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think it's going to be very challenging for, for all of these different partnerships to be able to connect in all these different complex ways with the same format. Shoot. We still have requirements to set up EDI every single day and EDI has been around for how long and I was just talking about this this morning. It's, it's crazy to me. 17 years ago when I started Trinity, we were setting up EDI for customers and we're still setting up EDI for customers because it is a standard format of which all these companies can abide by this same rule set. Help me out on that acronym again. Is that electronic delivery something or what? what's EDI? I believe it's electronic data. I believe it stands for electronic data interchange. Okay. 
but it is a very old technology. I, I was told at one point that Ross Perot actually founded it. I don't know if that's true. But, um, that would be it, a while ago. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time. And, and our customers still require us, in some cases, to be set up EDI with them. And so in order to get all these companies, you know how hard it is for manufacturers to upgrade their technology or to upgrade some of their machines or, yeah. you know, all these things that are needed. It, it's tremendous expense and a tremendous amount of effort. And so, you and know, it's very de- it, it, it sounds like way. you guys, it sounds like you guys work with a, a very decentralized system, which from an economist standpoint, I, I really think is great that there's not just Amazon and Walmart dominating the whole thing. It, it truly at the end of the day, that the people who are moving product from here to there, it, there, it is not very concentrated. Is that a fair statement? And that's part of why the standardization would be kind of tough? It would be very tough, right. So, I mean, you think of all sized shippers and all sized carriers. So we have a carrier base of around 55,000 carriers on our active status. Wow. Every, we don't use all 55,000 every month. Sure. But we use thousands of carriers. I mean, I think the last statistic that I saw with truckload business specifically is there's not any, the top 10 carriers haul less than 5% of all truckload freight. I mean, it's, okay. it's very fragmented in the yeah. truckload space. That's what I suspected. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So to get all of those different companies with upgraded technology to be able to do these somewhat complicated things as it relates to blockchain, it's, there's a lot of work to do to get that you know, actually in play. And it's beautiful. Somehow without some central planner of the U.S. government figuring out the logistics of it, somehow the market is able to spontaneously create order, as Hayek would say, uh, and get us goods from point A to point B with companies like yourself uh, and working with all of these thousands of people day in and day out, getting all the products to, to where they need to be. That's right. It's pretty spectacular. All right. Well, that looks like a pretty good place to wrap. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on today, Sarah, with your busy schedule and and flying around to to give talks and and run your company. So we appreciate that. Absolutely. Again, just thank you so much. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to always talk about what we're passionate about. And that's that's our company. So. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So on behalf of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University, I'd like to thank you all for listening. And uh, if you like what you're listening to, please uh, hit the subscribe button and our weekly podcast will automatically download on your uh, favorite device. And that helps us rise the ranks in the, in the rankings. And so uh, if you want to do that, please do. And we also have a Gortney Institute website where we have a little donate button and that's another spot that you can help support us at. So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. Mm-hmm.